you're ready to get into the book of Revelation. Are you sure? It's kind of grim. Uh, it's the word of God, right? All right. Father, we just thank you for this incredible book of prophecy in your holy book, the Bible. We know as we approach it, Lord, it's, it's not typical. It's not of this world. It's from another world to us. It is your love letter to us. It's your word to us. And you gave it to us for a reason, Lord. And we know that we are looking at what is yet to come on this planet. And then there's a whole new world coming. And we thank you, Lord, as we add in our minds. Uh, we thank you for what we're going to read tonight and learn tonight. Can you just breathe a prayer, church, and say, Lord, speak to my heart. I receive your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him Jesus is coming soon. Amen. Can you imagine six fifty a gallon? I mean, that's just not of God. <laughs> All right. Now, last time we closed out with John's vision of a woman. If you were here last time, you remember... The woman illustrated Israel, who gives birth to the Christ child. And John also saw, saw a great red dragon waiting for the woman to give birth to devour the child. You recall that. And that was just this, this powerful uh, picture, vision that John was given of what had already happened. The, the, the birth of Christ and how Herod, energized by the devil... Uh, tried to take Christ out by ordering the death of every male child two years old and under in the, in the town of Bethlehem. Rachel weeping for her children because they are not Jeremiah prophesied. But Jesus was, was protected and uh, lived to fulfill his ministry. But it goes to show you anytime something is of God, the devil's going to try to devour it, attack it, stop it in its tracks. Amen. Now, now we will see that John is transported back to the future as the narrative picks up three and a half years into the middle of the Great Tribulation. So now we're three and a half years in to the seven-year Great Tribulation, all right? The new world ruler, who is the Antichrist, has suddenly severed his seven-year covenant with Israel and slain the two witnesses in Jerusalem, all right? A lot is going on at this time. Now, heretofore, up to the first three and a half years, up to this middle point, it's been peaceful. Antichrist cut a peace treaty with Israel and the Arabs. He brokered it. And now there's peace. But it's only temporary. When they say peace, peace, then comes sudden destruction like a woman in travail. So that's what goes on. Now, halfway in... We saw last time the Antichrist walks into the rebuilt temple. The temple will be rebuilt. He walks into the Holy of Holies, and he shocks the Jewish nation by saying, I am God. When he does that, that's the abomination that makes desolate. That's the abomination of desolation. When he does that, all hell literally breaks loose on the earth. And it unleashes a persecution against the Jewish people we're going to read about in just a moment. 
Israel, the woman, comes under persecution at the three-and-a-half-year moment, the three-and-a-half-year midpoint. The Jewish people get persecuted maybe worse than ever in their whole history. And many Jews in that day, John tells us, and we'll read the verses in a moment, but many Jews in that day are going to flee when he does this, I am God, they will go, we've been fooled, we've been deceived, we've been lied to, we've been led along, this is, uh, we've been had. He never believed in our God, Yahweh, Jehovah, never. He, he was all about himself, and now he's sitting here saying he's God. This is crazy, and they know. And so they, the Jews flee to a place in the wilderness, uh, maybe even hundreds of thousands of those who have still not received Jesus yet as Messiah. But this happens, and they flee. They flee to the mountains because Gentile forces, the combined forces of Antichrist, begin to persecute the Jew and attack them. John says they're going to be protected, uh, protected for 1,260 days. Let's read verse 6, Revelations 12. And the woman, that being Israel, fled into the wilderness where God had prepared a place to care for her for 1,260 days. Powerful. Now next, yet another shift from earth to heaven, uh, heaven takes place as John observes an incredible battle underway. Verse 7, then there was war in heaven. Now this is real important. Remember I told you John has taken to heaven, back to earth, to heaven, back to earth, sometimes back in times and mostly forward in time. But now he's being taken up into heaven again, and he's shown this. There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against who, everybody? The dragon. And his angels, that would be the demons. These are fallen angels. The dragon is always Satan. Verse 8, and the dragon lost the battle. Amen, he always does. Can we give the Lord praise? He loses. Yes. And he and his angels were forced out of where? Out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan. Now we know who it is for sure. The one deceiving who, everybody? How much of the world? The whole world. We're under the deceptive sway of the devil. The one deceiving the whole world was thrown down to the earth with all of his angels. He's been kicked out of heaven, out of limited access. So while the Jews are in flight, Satan is totally expelled from heaven, and he's denied the limited access that he, right now, he enjoys, as revealed in Job chapters 1 and 2. Remember? Satan approached, it says the sons of God approached God, um, sort of like they were just giving a report. And God says, uh, and, and the devil went in with them. And God looked right at the devil and said, what you been up to? I'm paraphrasing. He's like, oh, walking up and down on the earth. I've been roaming, just like Peter says he does. He prowls about. And so there was limited access. Now you say, well, why, Jeff, would God give the devil limited access to go into his presence, and accuse the brethren. You know what the answer is? 
I don't know. I'm not God. But I do know that he has that access. And what does he do? He accuses you and me. The, the, the word devil is diabolos. And diabolos means accuser. Literally one who hurls objects at. He hurls accusations at believers. He's the accuser of the brethren, diabolos. He, he goes before God and says, look how imperfect they are. Look, look how they're messing up. And they're your kids. You're telling me they're your kids? Come on. Remember later in the New Testament, he went before God and said, I want Simon Peter. I want to sift him like wheat. We know that that happened because Jesus said it did. Satan has requested Peter to sift you like wheat. Requested from who? The only one who could let him do it. God. But I prayed for you, Peter, that your faith doesn't fail. And when you have been restored, you will strengthen the brethren. So Jesus knew he was going to mess up, knew he was going to fall. And he just prayed, I, I pray that it's not a fatal fall. I pray that he comes back. And he comes back so good, he strengthens everybody else. Amen? Now that's our God. Now you think Jesus hadn't done something like that for you and me? He hadn't had to intercede? Because he sees what the devil's up to. We don't. But you think the Lord has not gone before God and said, I'm praying for them. They're about to get hit. And I pray that they do not give up. They do not walk away. Their faith doesn't fail. But they return. And when they return, they're going to be more humble, more mature, more godly, more full of faith, more full of thanksgiving, and they're going to strengthen the brethren. All right? So when this happens at the midway point of the revelation, Satan's going to lose that limited access. He's not going to be able to go to God's presence anymore. And that infuriates him as we're about to read. He's confined to earth for the final 1260 days of the tribulation, three and a half years. He's confined to earth. Heaven rejoices. Verse 10, then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God. How often, everybody? Day and night has been cast down. I, I got to inject this right here. That's why we need to be so careful we don't join ranks with the devil and accuse one another. Because if we run each other down, undermine each other, attack each other, uh, gossip against each other, we've joined league with Diabolos, the accuser. No, we want to be on Christ's side saying, Lord, yeah, they really messed up. But, but for the grace of God, I go. So, Lord, please uh, help them be restored and help me to not fall. Keep me strong. Amen? Amen? So look what happened. The accuser of our brethren, he accused them day and night, has been cast down. <clears throat> and they overcame him. I want everybody to read it with me. You know this. 
And let's, let's start at verse 11. And they overcame him. Well, that was about five of you. Come on. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Satan hates the blood. And he hates your testimony. That's why he's always trying to wreck it. Because he hates it. Amen? Now, therefore, verse 12, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth, and woe to those in the sea. For the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows he's only got a short time. He's thinking, my time is almost up. We've been through the seal judgments. We've been through the trumpet judgments. Only the bold judgments to go. My time is coming, and I am so furious. He kicked me out of heaven completely, where I don't even get to go and accuse the brethren to God anymore. The dragon is now filled with great wrath. How does that anger manifest itself? Remember, we're mid midpoint here, three and a half years in. He proceeds to energize the Antichrist with supernatural power, because this is where the Antichrist makes his move, goes into the temple. I am God. Chapter 13 paints an incredible picture of how bad it becomes on our war-torn, sin-infected, demon-infested planet Earth at this point. Revelations 13.5 says, then the beast was allowed to speak great blasphemies against God. We're going to read this again in a moment, but just want to show you what happens here. What is the Antichrist begin to do because he is the beast. When you read the beast, it's Antichrist. When you read the false prophet, it's the Antichrist religious sidekick. When you read the dragon, it's the devil. So here are the beast, Antichrist. What's he doing? He's speaking blasphemies. We're going to read this over and over again. He has got a vile mouth. His, you talk about gutter mouth. He goes way beyond filthy language, and he's blaspheming God. Blasphemia, the Greek word, uh, to, to speak against the Most High. He's not just saying cursed words in God's name. He's, he's talking directly to God, cursing him, calling him names, blasphemy. To blaspheme his name, his tabernacle. And he even blasphemes those who are in heaven. Who's that? Us. He's on a blasphemy tirade. Daniel the prophet also predicts the Antichrist would possess a vile, blaspheming tongue. He describes him as the little horn with a mouth speaking pompous words. He's arrogant. He is disrespectful, dishonorable. You talk about narcissism. This, Listen, he's going to take narcissism to a level no human has ever gone. I am God. John continues with the description of this vile man who Paul the Apostle calls the man of sin, the son of perdition. Now, there are people out there who say, well, Antichrist is only a symbol and a type because there's, there's all kinds of Antichrists in the world. Yes, John says many Antichrists have gone out into the world. First John 5. Many Antichrists, plural, have gone out into the world. But what he's saying is 
people that are directly against Christ. He puts them in the plural, but he's not talking about the Antichrist. The Bible specifies and makes a distinction. Paul says, not just a bunch of men of sin, because that would be everybody, but he says, the man of sin, the son of perdition. Revelations 13, 7, and the beast was allowed to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And he was given authority to rule over every tribe and people and language and nation and all the people who belong to this world worship the beast. This is called the time of Jacob's trouble. Now we're coming back to chapter 13 in just a moment, but let's wrap up chapter 12. Satan releases his wrath at the midway point on God's chosen people. Chapter 12, verse 13, when the dragon realized he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman. We already know this is Israel, who had given birth to the male child. That takes away all speculation. But she was given two wings. Now, this is uh, metaphorical. She was given two wings. In other words, she was given the ability to make an amazing, miraculous escape. Oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. I was in rush hour traffic this week, and I wished for this. Yeah, I was in it on a motorcycle, and it was like 115 degrees out, and I was stuck and couldn't go anywhere. Just had to sit there and sizzle like a lobster. Oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. But Israel is going to be given, metaphorically speaking, two wings like those of a great eagle so she could fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness. There she would be cared for and protected from the dragon for a time, times, and half a time. Here we got three and a half years again. So God's people are going to be supernaturally protected during this time period. Remember, many Jews in that day will flee to a place in the wilderness, hundreds of thousands of them. Now we go to verse 15, chapter 12. Then the dragon tried to drown the woman with a flood of water that flowed from his mouth. But the earth helped her by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that gushed out from the mouth of the dragon. And the dragon was angry at the woman and declared war against the rest of her children. I think that could include the rest of the Jewish people but also perhaps tribulation saints because we know in the book of Romans, for instance, we are told by Paul in Romans 9 that we have been grafted into the vine, grafted into the covenants that came to the Jewish people. So essentially, we're spiritually Jewish, okay? So that could be part of who her children are. All who keep God's commandments and maintain their testimony for Jesus. Satan hates all who name the name of Christ. And this is likely a a prediction of a flood of violent persecution. Again, John is being given uh, metaphors, illustration. We know when it's metaphorical, it's clearly metaphorical because the dragons don't uh, gusher forth water out of their mouth. So it's, it's clearly metaphorical. What's it talking about? A flood of persecution because it's coming out of Satan's mouth. Nothing good comes out of Satan's mouth. How do you know he's lying? If he's talking. 
He's the king liar of all time, father of lies. All other lies were spawned and are spawned by him. Okay? So to me, it's very clear, this picture of of the dragon trying to flood the woman with this water gushing out of his mouth. He's trying to destroy Israel with persecution and accusations and vile uh, pronouncements. Now, as we begin chapter 13, the Antichrist himself, the dreaded beast, is going to step onto the world stage. You ready to meet him? Here we go. Revelation 13, verse 1. John, a vision again, I stood on the sand of the sea, and looking out at the sea, I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. There you have blasphemy once again. Now, when it says rising up out of the sea, this is a description of how the Antichrist will appear to rise out of the vast sea of humanity. That's what it's saying. Daniel tells us that he'll come on the scene quickly, suddenly. He, he bursts onto the world stage. Daniel tells us that he's a flatterer. He works people. He's a manipulator. He works politicians. He's a talker. He's a smooth talker. He is a mesmerizing talker, a charmer. And he will rise out of the sea of humanity. Something will distinguish him that will suddenly place him there. And I think it's the brokering of the peace treaty. But something will happen that places him suddenly. He'll come up out of the sea of humanity with everybody looking at him. Look what he just did. What a brilliant guy. What an amazing problem solver. Because we're about to be told the whole world's going to go after him and even worship him. So this guy's convincing. Hitler was a type, for instance, mesmerizer. You see the films of him yakking away the way he did, and, and tens of thousands of Germans spellbound. With a, with a wicked, evil anointing. It's going to be the same thing with this guy, squared to the 10th power. Chapter 13 goes on to describe the beast king, who is elsewhere called the Antichrist. In 1 John 2, 28, the man of sin and son of perdition. In 2 Thessalonians 2, the little horn king. In Daniel 7, verse 8, the prince that shall come in Daniel 9, and the abomination of desolation in Matthew 15. Just for a few examples, the Antichrist is described as having seven heads. John tells us later in chapter 17 what that is. The seven heads, John writes in verse 9 of chapter 17, are seven mountains on which the woman sits. And there are also seven kings. Well, there's only one place known as the city of seven mountains. Right? Where? Rome. City of seven hills. That's Rome. Now, that's why I've always personally believed that Antichrist will arise in Europe. He'll come out of Europe. Um, And let's go on and see what it says. The place of seven mountains is Rome. The kings he mentioned... Uh, ten crowns, that's talking about kings. 
crown is for authority. The kings he mentions, the ten crowns, are political rulers of a revived Roman Empire. And we're going to get into that more, like I've said in chapter 17. So I'm, I'm giving you little teases here. We're going to cover this at de in depth in chapter 17. But here you've got this figure, this political figure, rising up out of Europe, out of the area of Rome, and clearly a revived Roman Empire. And he has 10 nations that join hands with him in a wicked confederacy to work with him these last three and a half years of the tribulation. Then John also mentions seeing 10 horns. And again, in chapter 17, let me read what it says. John tells us flat, flat out, the 10 horns which you saw are 10 kings who have received no kingdom as yet. In other words, they're not here yet. When John wrote this, they're not there. But they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. Now listen to the way it describes them. They are unified. These are of one mind. And what are, look at what they do. They will give their power and authority to the beast. They bow to the beast. They say, whatever you want to do, we're with you. We're with you. It, it is a confederacy hatched in hell, literally. Verse 14, these will make war with the lamb, and the lamb will overcome them. They make war with the lamb. We're going to see this in the final two chapters of Revelation. They literally go to fight Jesus, but that's later. The lamb will overcome them. So who wins again? Jesus. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. Since that's us, can we give the Lord a hand of praise tonight? I want you to say with me, I'm called, I'm chosen, and by God's grace, I'm faithful. Amen. Now, these ten horns likely, as I've said, are ten nations that join with the Antichrist in his attempt at world domination, and they join with him in his attacks against the Jewish people and against the tribulation saints. Now, to me, I'm just throwing out speculation. I cannot prove this. It's only speculation right now. That's all you can do. But when I think of the Ten Nation Confederacy, it seems very probable to me this will happen either through the United Nations, which is primarily godless, or a European Union. It makes sense to me. We'll see. Well, we'll either see from here or from up there. I guess from up there we will, yes. Um, but again, chapter 17 cometh. I'm just wetting your appetite so that uh, you kind of know where it's going to go. Now let's talk about his personality, Antichrist personality. He's such a wonderful guy. Makes you just kind of guy you want to go on vacation with you, right? Just This guy's a real, real winner. John describes his diabolical personality traits. He says in verse 2, the beast which I saw, again, metaphors, was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear. His mouth like the mouth of a lion. And look what it says. The dragon, the devil, gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. So at the midpoint, he comes under 
a truly frightening, satanic anointing. In my opinion, he will be the most demon-possessed man in the history of the world. Now look at the animals. Leopard, bear, lion. A leopard, what does he do? He moves quickly. He'll quickly come on the world scene. What is a bear? Strong and powerful. He will take over and be very strong, very fast. What does a lion do? He roars, and this guy's got a big mouth, and he's kingly. He's regal. He appears impressive. John predicts his kingdom will be strong and powerful. The Antichrist at this time is going to be possessed by the devil. Just almost, you know, we talk about being spirit-filled. And if you're really, really spirit-filled, you know what it means. It means to be controlled by the spirit. That's what spirit-filled is, to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. That's what it is. If you're really spirit-filled, you're controlled by the Holy Spirit. So that when you're on the good side, on the Lord's side, and you're controlled by the Holy Spirit, you can, you can move in faith in ways that you couldn't if he wasn't filling you. Um, you are full of love and compassion. You are able to overcome. You have incredible um, power to have victory over the flesh. God is strong on you. It says in, if I can remember right, Luke 180 and Luke 240, we're told Jesus grew mighty in spirit. And John the Baptist grew the same way, mighty in spirit. So in their spirit man, they were Herculean. How many of you want to be mighty in spirit? Amen? Mighty in spirit. All right? Flip that, and you got the Antichrist, and he is so full of the devil, every move he makes is Satan-led. Halfway through the tribulation, he will commit the abomination of desolation I've been talking about. He'll walk into the temple and do his thing. And it would appear that at this time, an assassination attempt is made either on him or on one of the kings associated with him. Verse 3, Revelation 13. I saw that one of the heads of the beast seemed wounded beyond recovery, but the fatal wound was healed. And look what happened. When this so-called healing happens, the whole world marvels at this miracle and gives allegiance to the beast. Let me ask you a question. Does Satan do signs and wonders? Yes, he does. Jesus said in Matthew 24, he will do signs and wonders. False prophets, false Christ will do signs and wonders so that if possible, even the elect are deceived. How do you think those magicians in Moses' day were duplicating all of his miracles until the last one? Huh? How? They had a level of satanic power. It was not just sleight of hand. And so here, if it's not one of the ten kings that received this apparent death blow, it's going to be the Antichrist himself, the beast. And and it's going to be a big deal. It'll be in all the news. And, oh, this terrible thing has happened to to the the beast, our wonderful Savior's uh, coalition 
They've been hit hard, a death blow, and somehow it's going to be healed. Now, I don't know if it's a political thing. I don't know if it's a literal assassination attempt where uh, the head is wounded because it says one of the heads seemed wounded. So whether it's a physical wound, a, a bullet, literally, that goes and hits them and they recover when it looked deadly, or it's a political death blow, don't know. But it's enough, to, it's enough for this, that when they recover, it's a miracle. And the whole world goes, ooh. What does it say in Thessalonians? It says, God will send them a strong delusion because they did not receive the love of the truth, but received the lie. Not a lie, but the article, the lie. What is the lie? I think it's Antichrist. The lie. The Antichrist. So one of the heads recovers and the whole world, they say, well, now we know that God is with him. Amen. The result of this resurrection is universal adulation. Verse 4, they worship the dragon. What do they do? They worshiped the dragon. Who's the dragon? The devil. For giving the beast such power, the beast Antichrist, and they also worship the beast. Now we've got a Satan-worshiping, uh, Antichrist-worshiping world, and we wonder why judgment's falling on them. Who is as great as the beast, they exclaim. Can't you see all the headlines on ABC, CBS, NBC, CNN, MSLSD, I mean MSNBC? I'm sorry, I do that every time, but they are crazy. But anyway, look what they say. Who is able to fight against him? Who is as great as the beast? This is worship. Antichrist is now at the height of his diabolical career, and he leverages his popularity to commit pure evil. We're coming to the close. How many of you can take just a few more verses? We're almost done. Say amen or oh me. All right. Now at the height of his wicked reign, it seems as if nothing is going to take him down as he rides a crest of popularity. Verse 5, Revelation 13, and there was given unto him a mouth. Here we go again with this guy speaking great things and blasphemies. And great things meaning he's, he's a braggart. He's always bragging. And blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue 42 months. So he's got three and a half years left. So we know the time frame. Verse 6, he opened his mouth. And what did he do? In blasphemy against who? God. He's blaspheming the name of God and his tabernacle, and those that dwell in heaven. And it was given to him to make war with the saints. Who's the saints at this point? Tribulation saints. People who have been saved during the tribulation. Because a lot of people are going to be saved during the tribulation. whole lot. Now, the church, gone. But people are going to be hearing the gospel from the 144,000 Jewish Billy Grahams. There's going to be an angel sent through the skies uh, proclaiming the gospel. We're told later. We're going to read it. So lots of people get saved, tribulation saints, but they have a very hard time of it. And a lot of them are beheaded. 
So you got to wonder, why beheaded in a day of guns and modern weaponry? Could Islam be involved here? Because that's what they do. I don't know. But look what it says happens. He was given to him to make war with the saints. And what does he do? He overcomes them. I'm not taking the mark. Then I'm after you. I will not take that mark. Then I'm coming after you. If you don't take the mark, you're marked. More on the mark. We're almost there in chapter 13 next week. It was given to him to make war over the saints, overcome them, and power was given him over all kindreds, tongues, and nations. He has achieved world domination, virtually the whole world. Power was given to him over all kindreds and tongues and nations, and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. Isn't that tragic? God will send them a strong delusion. The whole world is worshiping a great big lie whose names are not written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If any man have an ear, let him hear. You better hear. So as Antichrist rides this wave of adulation, John warns that anybody trying to stop his reign of terror will be imprisoned or slain. Last verse for tonight. Verse 10, chapter 13. Anyone who is destined for prison will be taken to prison, John writes. Anyone destined to die by the sword, how? By the sword. We'll die by the sword. This means that God's holy people will have to endure persecution patiently and remain very faithful if you come to him in the tribulation period. We stand together. Say, wow, Pastor Jeff, uh, this makes me want to get out and witness. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's been a lot of warfare, a lot of warfare against our church. And I know why. I sure know partly why. Because souls are being saved. We have not forsaken his name. We are not teaching a bunch of gobbledygook, but we're staying with Scripture. And, and we're trying to reach the world with the Word. Uh, you saw a little while ago, another way we're going to do it. Because we want to take the Word to the world. Because, folks, this is what they're headed for. If they don't repent. Amen? How many of you are glad you're saved? Saved. Yeah. Let's lift our hands to the Lord tonight. Just Can you just take a minute and have a praise moment with Jesus? Just thank him. Thank you, Lord. 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 Praise your mighty name, Lord. Lord, we praise you. You've got the whole world in your hand. We thank you, Lord, that as we read these things, we know that it's only the darkest of the night before a new day dawns. We know that, Lord, we're on the final end of history as we have always known it. And it's about to be wrapped up. And a brand new world is going to be established by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. 
whose rule we wait for, whose righteousness we personally long for. Thank you, Lord, for the day coming when there will be no more crime, no more murders, no more tears and sorrow and broken hearts and hopelessness and despair. No. God will wipe away every tear. And there will be no more pain, no more cancer, no more heart disease, no more arthritis, no more migraine headaches, no more pain. Lord, we thank you. A new world is coming. Can we say it together, everybody? A new world is coming. One more time. Come on, all. A new world is coming. And that's the blessed hope. Amen.